0: In every age of time, there's been a prophet or a preacher who's been charged by God to be the watchman on the wall. The job of the watchman is to warn God's people of the enemy's approach, and if he doesn't do so, then their blood will be upon his head. We share this sermon today in the nature of the job of the watchman on the wall. We hear so often in this world that we're supposed to follow our hearts. but God doesn't say follow your heart. God says, guard your heart, keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. In the message today, we explore this concept by looking at a bad example, the example of David and Bathsheba. We see that David's downfall began long before that evening on the balcony, and we learn that his downfall carried terrible consequences for him and for his family. Join us for this message today and the conclusion tomorrow. First we have a song selection that we hope you enjoy. Then please stay tuned for the message. Please we are Proverbs 4 and verse 23, we find this very important verse Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Keep thy heart. That word keep means to guard or to protect. It actually means to besiege or to blockade. Besiege your heart or blockade your heart put a barrier around it the world says follow your heart God says guard your heart and that's what I want to preach to you about this morning recently we've been in a sermon series as you know on the family and marriage and we talked about many things regarding marriage but we didn't deal head on with the problems of adultery and infidelity the, the things I want to preach to you about this morning, um, i just tell you up front, they're hard things, and some, you may, they may be uncomfortable things. But see, my job as a preacher is, um, you know, it's different than being a public speaker. You know, public speakers try to find out what the people want to hear and try to hit on those topics and, and expound upon them. Preachers have to find out what God wants the people to hear and try to, preach sometimes uplifting sermons sometimes doctrinal sermons always the gospel sermons but sometimes sermons of warning Uh, you don't have to turn here but i'm going to read to you some verses out of the book of ezekiel chapter 33 this is a good description of what a preacher or pastor particularly is supposed to be In Ezekiel 33 and verse 1, he says, Again, the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, speak to the children of thy people and say unto them, When I bring the sword upon a land, if the people of the land take a man of their coasts and set him for their watchman, if when he seeth the sword come upon the land, he blow the trumpet and warn the people, then whosoever heareth the sound of the trumpet and taketh not warning If the sword come and take him away, his blood shall be upon his own head. He heard the sound of the trumpet and took not warning. His blood shall be upon him, but he that taketh warning shall deliver his soul. But if the watchman see the sword come and blow not the trumpet, and the people be not warned, if the sword come and take any person from among them, he is taken away in his iniquity, but his blood will I require at the watchman's Hand. So thou, O Son of Man, I have set thee a watchman under the house of Israel. Therefore, thou shalt hear the word at my mouth and warn them from me. You know, that's a very powerful statement. Any of you young men out there, I know Brother John Morgan already is an ordained elder, that ever think it's fun to become a preacher. And oh, I think that's a neat area to go into then I've got some warnings for you. It's a heavy burden, and it's a burden that must be taken seriously. So this morning, what I'm going to do is I'm going to be the watchman on the wall. You know, you think some things don't need to be preached, but based on some events that have recently happened in our area and among one or two of our churches, they do. They do. I want to preach to you this morning about guarding your heart, and I want to, take you to a negative example found in 2 Samuel chapter 11 about a man who was a great man of God, a man who had a great position in the kingdom of God, a man who ultimately is called a man after God's own heart, but he did not guard his heart. Of course, I'm talking about David and Bathsheba, the encounter over there that we see. Now, I want to, talk to you about the setup here the setup now when I say setup oftentimes you say well somebody was set up that's somebody else's fault and that's what he's talking about he was set up and and unfortunately in the uh, in the the wicked world that we live in the the sin cursed world that we live in uh oftentimes there's a double standard we've talked about that before that uh sometimes You know, a man is looked at one way in a situation like this and a woman another way. Uh, Let me just say to you this morning, when I talk about the setup, I'm talking about the fact that David the king set himself up for what is about to happen. Beginning here in chapter 11 and verse 1, it says, And it came to pass, after the year was expired, at the time when kings go forth to battle, that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel, and they destroyed the, the children of Ammon and besieged Rabbah. But David tarried still at Jerusalem. And it came to pass in an evening tide that David arose from off his bed and walked upon the roof of the king's house. And from the roof he saw a woman washing herself, and the woman was very beautiful to look upon. Now, this is a day, there's some things we've got to unpack here that we want to talk about. This is a day uh, when the battle is going on, but David's not there. David is back home in the palace, and he's walking on his roof, and he sees, we'll find out, her name is Bathsheba. We see, she, he sees Bathsheba bathing. And some say that this is the day of David's downfall. Some say, well, this is the day... That caused his downfall. But I want to say to you this morning, David's downfall began long before the day he was walking up on the balcony and saw this beautiful woman, woman taking a bath. Our downfall, child of God, is cultivated in our own hearts long before the deed is done. And too many times we set ourselves up for disaster. Because you see, first of all, we find out that David was in a place where he shouldn't have been. This is the time when the kings go out to battle. This is what the, the thought here is, the idea is conveying is that in those days... Usually during the winter months, it was too wet and rainy and uh, too hard to move armies. And they would, you know, if there was a battle or a war going on, both sides would retire to their homes and they would wait till the spring. And in the spring, the battle would start back and they'd go back out there. OK, well, this was the time. It was, this was that time. The, the weather was better. They were ready to leave. And everybody went out to battle except David, except David. And now listen, David, David wasn't like Generals that we think of today in our armies—they sit back in the, you know, control center directing things. David led his troops from the front. He was—he you know, was a man of war. In fact, back over in chapter ten, and um, in verse uh, seventeen, we read where that he, he there was a. A time when the Syrians came and they began to attack Israel. It says in verse 17, when it was told David, he gathered all Israel together and passed over Jordan and came to Helam. And then we see that David was leading the battle there. He was fighting alongside his men. And that's where he was supposed to be. He was accustomed to leading his troops and they were accustomed to his leadership. But instead of being where he was supposed to be, he was in a place... That he shouldn't be. How many times. Does the story of someone's downfall begin this way. They were in a place. Where they shouldn't have been. Should have been home. Should have been in church. Should have been in the word. Should have been in prayer. Should have been in meditation. Whatever you want to say. They were in a place. They shouldn't have been. They were out. Of the place that God had directed them to be you see beloved we cannot expect God's protections when we get away from God's will now now let me stop right here and make it clear what I'm talking about I'm not talking about eternity please understand I think you know this a child of God will always be a child of God our eternal redemption is just that it's eternal we will be in heaven one day David is in heaven today okay If you're a child of God, you will be in heaven one day. But the question is that we're dealing with here is not what we're going to be one day. It's what are we today? And are we going to experience God's blessings? Or are we going to experience the chastening of God? See, we can destroy our lives here. Even though God will preserve our lives eternally, but we can destroy our lives here. And we can't expect God's protections when we get out of his will you know I've said this before from the pulpit here Uh, you know you ask the question how far down the broad path can you go without any danger and the answer is not one step the minute you get on the broad path you're in danger now certainly the further you go the worse it gets but it's kind of like Hansel and Gretel the story there of them going into the woods and leaving those breadcrumbs they didn't need breadcrumbs if they'd never gone in the woods (laughs) You know, and in fact, you might could go a little ways into the woods and still see the opening back there to the clearing where they would be safe. But the point is, is not one step down that road can you go and still be in the will of God. You remember when Abraham sent his servant to find a wife for Isaac? There came a time he sent his servant over there and... You know, I won't go through all the details. You can read it, but it's in, it's in the 24th chapter of Genesis um, where he finally got back to the land where he was sent to go find the wife. And, and things worked out. Things, uh, God blessed him to find that wife. And this is the statement he made in verse 17 of Genesis 24. He said, Blessed be the Lord God of my master Abraham, who hath not left destitute my master of his mercy and his truth, I being in the way... The Lord led me to the house of my master's brethren. Notice what he said. He said, I was in the way. In other words, I was on the path that God would have me on. And because I was, the Lord led me to a positive outcome. David was out of the way. David was out. He should have been out there with his men. But he was out of the way. I mean, you think about this. He, he should have been in the battle. Beloved, let me just say this. We're facing a battle, are we not? We're in a spiritual battle. We dealt with that last year on some spiritual armor that God's given us. It's a battlefield. It's not a recreation room. It's a war out there and you and I need to be in it. And when we extract ourselves from the battlefield and we get to our places where we're taking care of our own pleasures and our own desires and our own uh, addictions and our own uh, hobbies and our own things like that and we're out of the battle, we're like David. We're out of the way. See, There's certain protections you have on the battlefield that you don't have when you're out of the way. David didn't have the protections of focus he would have had on the battlefield. He wouldn't have had time to be looking at beautiful women if he was out there in the battlefield. they, They wouldn't have been out there, first of all. And second of all, if they were, they would have been just a distraction. His focus would have been different. He didn't have the protections of godly friends when he was there alone in his home when everybody else was out there on the battle. He would have had those protections on the battlefields. He didn't have the protections of armor, literally armor, the physical armor that he would have had on the battlefields. Beloved, we don't have the protections of the spiritual armor that we should have on that God has given us when we're not out on the battlefield. And look, he just didn't have the protections of God that he would have had on the battlefield. Because when you get out of the way, when you're in the way, God is there And you have certain protections. When you're out of the way, you don't have those same protections. Listen, God can protect us anywhere. And I cannot tell you, I could point you to times in my life when I've been out of the way and he protected me anyway. But don't count on that. Don't tempt God in that way, you see. David was tempting God. When we're not in the battle like we should be, we don't have those protections. And this is something very important. When we forsake God's will in one area of our lives, we're setting ourselves up for greater failure in other areas. You see, it's not just one or two areas. It's not a buffet. We don't get to go out and say, well, I think I'll follow God here and here and there, but not over here. See, if we would be disciples, we got to be bought in. we got to be fully disciples wherever we are, whether it's at church. Yeah, it's easy to be a disciple at church, but we got to be a disciple out there at the workplace out there at the basketball game or the football game. Boy, that's a tough one, isn't it? (laughs) Beloved, you've got to be a disciple even at the ball game. And when we forsake that and we don't go along with God's will in one area, we're setting ourselves up for potential failure in another. He was in a place he shouldn't have been, and he was doing things he shouldn't have been doing. Now, now, hear me well on this, and you, you can turn there if you want, but you don't have to. I'm going to read a few verses from Deuteronomy chapter 17. Now, you remember that, that initially the children of Israel didn't have a king, and God didn't really intend for them to have a king. Uh, they were to follow him. The judges ruled over them and, and the prophets, but, but he understood God knew it was coming, and he laid out some rules for kings uh, way back in the time of Moses. And in Deuteronomy chapter 17 and verse 14, he says this, When thou art come into the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee, and shalt possess it, and shalt dwell therein, and shalt say, I will set a king over me, like as all the nations that are about me. Okay, he's, he's allowing for the possibility and, and in fact the, the probability that they would do this. He said, Thou shalt in any wise set him king over thee, whom the Lord thy God shall choose. You know, we know they didn't really do that with Saul, did they? They chose a king. Ultimately, David was the king God chose. One from among thy brethren shalt thou set king over thee. Thou mayest not set a stranger over thee, which is not thy brother. Now, here's the rules that he set forth for the kings. Listen to this. Talking about the king. He shall not multiply horses to himself, nor cause the people to return to Egypt, to the end that he should multiply horses, For as much as the Lord hath said unto you, you shall henceforth return no more that way. So the first rule is you're not going to amass a whole bunch of horses. You're not going to, you know, later on we'll find that David got lifted up with pride and decided to number the people. And, you know, what's wrong with the census? Well, the problem with the census was is that he was doing it to say, Look what I got. Look how powerful I am because of all the people that are behind me. But he said, You don't, you're trusting me. You don't trust in horses. And then he says, Neither shall he multiply wives to himself that his heart turn not away. Neither shall he greatly multiply to himself silver and gold. So a king was not to multiply wives, uh, multiply horses, was not to multiply wives. He wasn't to have a bunch of wives and he wasn't to multiply silver and gold or material things. David did pretty good on two of those. But if you go back to 2 Samuel chapter 5, you're going to read in verse 13 that said, David took him more concubines and wives out of Jerusalem after he was come from Hebron, and there were yet sons and daughters born to David. David essentially amassed a harem around him. He had so many wives and he had so many concubines he was amassing a harem, gathered a harem to himself like the other kings of the east. David was feeding his fleshly desires against the word of God. And he was doing this all his life leading up to this moment on this balcony. You see, you heard me say earlier his downfall wasn't that day. His downfall began many years earlier in his life. He was, he was in a place he shouldn't have been, and he was doing things in his life, feeding the flesh, doing things that he shouldn't be doing. And now, this day, he was seeing things that he shouldn't have seen. You know, he, he looked. He looked over there. Now, now remember this. I, I'll never forget. My brother Tim preached a message one time years ago. I think he called it a little look. And, and what he had done that led up to that message, he had been to the mall over in Tuscaloosa and while Tracy and some of the kids were shopping, he was just sitting there and he was watching the men that were in his field of vision and how they would turn their heads and follow young women, pretty young women that were walking by, you know, and just, he said, you know, a little look is a problem because you know, a little look is what started sin in the first place. Eve lifted up her eyes and saw, she saw that uh, fruit, that it was good to the eyes. It was, it was good. And, you know, remember Lot, Lot lifted up his eyes and saw the plain of Jordan down there. You see, now, I'm not talking about a fleeting glance here. I mean, you, you can't help what comes into your vision, but David here was taking stock. You know, I've heard it said this before, and you, you, maybe this will help put it in perspective. You can't help a bird flying over your head. But you can prevent him from building a nest in your hair. Okay? The bird's going to fly over, but you can keep him from building a nest in your hair. David was taking stock. He didn't just glance down there and say, oh, man, I I shouldn't be looking at this. He was viewing her as she was bathing down there. His look lingered, and guess what? His mind wandered. His mind wandered. Isn't that what Job said? He made a covenant with his eyes. Therefore, I won't think upon a maid. You say, "Well, Job, you messed that up. You say, I made a covenant with my eyes, so I won't look on a maid." No, Job knew the eyes were the gateway to the mind. So when you look, you're letting it in your mind, you see. He was he was feeding those desi- those desires that those fleshly lusts and desires that had led up to that day. He was feeding them. And when you feed those desires, you they don't get less, they get greater. You see, the more you get, the more you want when it comes to sin. Proverbs 27 and verse 20 says, Hell and destruction are never full, so the eyes of a man are never satisfied. If you've got something that you lust after, you've got something you like, you've got something you want, the more you look at it, you don't say, okay, I've had enough of that now, I'm going to move on to something else. The more you look at it, the more you want. The more you look, the more you lust. The more you look, the harder it is to pull yourself away from it. And when the day comes like this, when you're walking on your balcony and you see that thing that you desire that's ungodly, it's going to be hard for you and I to turn it down. See, we're playing with fire when we fill our minds with that which feeds the flesh and the fleshly desires. David set himself up for this moment of temptation. Unlike Joseph. Now remember Joseph? Man, I I love Joseph. And we're going to see this in a minute. I want want you to think about the comparison between Joseph and David. Because we don't often think about this. But David wasn't a young man. We'll come back to that hopefully before the sermon's over. But David was probably in his 50s. I mean, I'm certain he was in his 50s. He may have been 60. Joseph was 17, 18, 19 years old. This older woman, I'm sure she was a pretty woman, there in Potiphar's house, his master's wife had it in for him, had a thing for him, kept trying to get him to lay with her. I mean, over and over and over. This is a 17 or 18-year-old young man. And listen, we all know biology. At 17 or 18 or 20 years old, you're in your prime. You're in the vigor of life. I mean, what young man wouldn't give in to the temptations of some, some older woman that's a, a powerful woman? You know, you read that story all the time. But Joseph, Joseph didn't do it. Joseph was a young man, and he fled. He got him out. And see, David, this older man, who ought to know better, he set himself up for this moment of temptation. He wasn't satisfied with the wives that he had. He decided he had to have Bathsheba. So let's, let's look at the sin here that occurred. Let's look at the sin. Verse 2, it came to pass in an evening tide, David arose off his bed, walked upon the roof. From the roof he saw a woman washing herself. Isn't that an ages old story? Isn't that where it usually starts? I saw a woman. Go back to Judges sometime. Read about in the 14th chapter there. uh, Samson goes down to Timnath and to a place of wicked people in a wicked place. And he he didn't come back and say, I saw a great mission field. He didn't come back and say, I saw a great place we could spread the word of God. He said, I saw a woman. (laughs) And ultimately his downfall was he was blinded and grinding in a mill because of his lust for a woman. And it works both ways. We're picking on the men, okay, but ladies, it works both ways. I saw a man is also the way this story starts sometimes. And you you remember that just for a minute, flip over to the 12th chapter just for a second here in 2nd Samuel, cuz you you remember the Lord sends Nathan the prophet there and, and he 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 tells him a story and we'll come back to that in a moment. But he tells him a story about a rich man who had many uh, many lambs in his flock and a, poor, and a poor man that only had one. And it says in verse 4, there came a traveler unto the rich man. And, and ultimately what he's going to tell him is the rich man decided to take the poor man's little ewe lamb and not take any out of his flock. But that traveler there, he, I believe he's, he's talking about and comparing there the thought of temptation to a traveler. Okay, The traveler that came to David in this day was the thought of temptation, the temptation of Bathsheba. And notice what could have happened here. He could have looked upon Bathsheba, and that temptation arisen, and he could have met the needs of this traveler by going back to his own flock. But he didn't do that, did he? Over in the book of Proverbs, and this is for, again, men primarily, but you ladies as well. In the fifth chapter... Listen to what it says in chapter 5 and verse 15. Drink waters out of thine own cistern and running waters out of thine own well. If you're a married man or a married woman, you have a well, you have a cistern where you can go to satisfy any traveler of temptation traveler that comes into your mind, you see. He said, let thy fountains be dispersed abroad, rivers of waters in the street. Let them be only thine own and not strangers with thee. Let thy fountain be blessed and rejoice with the wife of thy youth. Let her be as the loving hind and pleasant roe. Let her breast satisfy thee at all times and be thou ravished always with her love. David could have gone back to his wives into his harem, but instead David took from another man's flock. And he disregarded the way out. You know, I preached on that here a time or two. 1 Corinthians chapter ten and verse twelve or thirteen, I always forget it's one of those. It says there hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. So oh, you just don't know, preacher, you don't know how bad the temptation was nobody could have resisted, no. God says there's none that's worse than that you can't handle. He said, there's no temptation, you know, that's taken you, but such as is common to man. Everybody thinks they're the first one, but they're not, you see. He said, but God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you're able, but will with the temptation make a way of escape, that you may be able to bear it. See, there's always a way out of temptation. There's always a way out of temptation. Usually there's multiple ways out. You know i've never been tempted in a situation where i didn't find myself having multiple ways out maybe i ignore the first one and here comes another one you know and next thing you know so you know god's trying to get my attention <laughs> there's a way out here look at verse three with me back in second samuel chapter 11 It says david in verse three david sent and inquired after the woman see he, he took some action he didn't just look at her and go back to his wives he said, I want to find out who this is. He sent and inquired after the woman, and one said, Is not this Bathsheba the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? Due to the constraints of time, we will stop the message here. But please join us tomorrow for the conclusion of this message. If you would like to subscribe to our website, please go to www.zionpbc.com and sign up for email updates. If you have any questions, For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com.